Hey, Becca. Hi, Matt. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm so excited to talk with you today. You're one of the first people that I thought of when I was thinking about people who are doing really fascinating research that I know nothing about. Thank um, you. Can you tell our audience the two letters that are most associated with the work that you're doing here at Cambridge? That would be V. Oh, oh wonderful. Okay, VR. Cool. Something I really don't know anything about whatsoever. So your, your degree is in which department? Um, so I'm doing uh, an MPhil in Film and Screen Studies. Um, so technically I'm in um, the Modern and Medieval Languages Department. It's kind of um, people drawn from French and Spanish and whatever. There's more of like a traditional film focus in my course, I would say, generally. But there's scope to do um, modern, crazy things like I'm doing too. Very cool. Modern, <laughs> crazy things. That's so fun. And do you have a film background or do you have a languages background or a neither background? Where, where, where's your base? So my undergrad was in English. Um, okay. So I, I could study film. Um, I think virtual reality would have been pushing it slightly, but you know, <laughs> here I am. Very cool. Okay, so VR. Mm -hmm. What was your first interaction with VR of any kind? So actually, uh, my friends and I, for fun, went to Harrods and we were looking about and we were trying all the things that they let you try for free. And um, I tried on an HTC Vive headset and they put me in the classic um, demo thing, um, which is the uh, ship, uh, the deck of a ship um, and you're wandering around and checking it out and then you turn around and boom, there's a huge blue whale and it's just so overpowering and feels real and I fell onto the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was obviously not a ship deck. It was the Harrods floor and everyone was watching me. <laughs> That's so funny. And from there, like on the floor, you were like, now I know what I'm doing. My yes, I was kind there. of, I was lying there having an epiphany. Like, yes, this is, <laughs> this is the thing. This is what I'm going to yep. do. Thank you to the whale for that. <laughs> uh, very cool. Okay, so um, for our audience, I feel like mm -hmm. most people probably don't know uh, total history mm -hmm. of VR. Can you give us just like mm -hmm. a few uh, mm -hmm. dates and like plot points yeah. of like what, uh, how this field developed? So the first headset was um, developed in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so actually it's been, the head mounted display as a concept has been around for ages. Mm. Um, there was also with that, there was kind of a first wave of thought about it. There were lots of sci-fi movies being made about the idea of transportation and this kind of thing, total recall, you know, this kind of idea of separating your mind and body through these technologies. However, it didn't really pick up. Um, so now we're experiencing sort of second wave of enthusiasm and of development. Very cool. And do you know what sparked that second wave? Or... Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just more technology? I don't know. Well, it's fascinating. I'm surprised it didn't take off in the first place. Mm. That's very cool. So head-mounted device mm. just means anything you put over your face to yeah. have immersive experience? Um, so there's different kinds of, so the head mounted display just, just means that it, you know, covers this portion. So the Google cardboard is like a very low end version of that, mm -hmm. which uses your phone. And then the, the actual head mounted display would be something like the HTC Vive or the Oculus Rift or, you know, something that you're talking about, like 500 pounds for, which is why it's kind of hard for some, for a lot of people to access this in a, in a high end way. And so it's great that we've got things like Google cardboard and mobile VR viewing and stuff like that. Right. I feel like VR mm. is definitely something that people have been talking about for a couple of years now, but not something that's mm. actually made it into homes yet, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're 
technology enthusiast with exactly. tons of money. Yeah, exactly. And it's seen as more of a gaming thing thus far, but... Mm. Um, so the the New York Times um, did an initiative where they sent out a million cardboard, uh, a million like build your own cardboard headsets. I got one of those. Oh right, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and they also launched their app that did a daily three sixty. So they were, I mean, I see that as sort of a um, a declaration to the world. You know, this is the direction it's going to go in. Mm-hmm. Let's get on it. Very interesting. Mm. Trying to make it more accessible. Exactly. Exactly. And also, moving away from gaming stuff, Mm. I understand that the applications of VR are widening Mm. on a yearly basis, yes? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that's basically... So my thesis is talking about uh, virtual reality journalism um, and thinking about the ways in which um, it's... So what's so exciting, but also what's, um, I think, has the potential to be troubling is the um, the fact that virtual reality exists at this juncture between gaming and film and um, the varying levels of interactivity take it in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. So the question of what these different things are used for, um, like entertainment or education or, you know, information, it's, um, it's sometimes difficult to analyze the purpose of things, whereas in everything else we have very strictly defined Mm. categories of what we use things for. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So this gaming background kind of sets a precedent for how people are going to interact with it in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So what are some examples or one Mm -hmm. example of a recent VR development project or something like that that's outside of the gaming sphere that people would use okay so something i'm looking at is um a project by chris milk chris milk um is famous for actually doing the um touch the sky video for Kanye West, the evil knievel thing so he's got an entertainment background and um he's recently turned to vr to do this project called clouds over cedra in 2015 and it was basically the experience of a refugee girl um, in a refugee camp in, in Jordan. And it was in collaboration with um, the United Nations. Um, and he took it to um, he took it to all different kinds of forums and tried to elicit kind of charitable donations from it and things like that. Mm. Um, so it was this kind of idea that if you're if he was able to give people a chance to walk a mile in this girl's shoes, mm. it would you know. Pull, pull on their heartstrings a little bit and inspire action. Um, and he did this very influential um, TED talk, um, speaking of virtual reality as this kind of empathy machine that could be used to that end. So mm. that's kind of what I'm studying. That's super interesting. Mm. And obviously I'm going to get to questions, so does it work? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later, right. but just some more mm-hmm. basic stuff. So is the idea to be interacting in this space or are you more or less just watching a movie and being able to turn your head and see other scenes while you're doing it? So that's basically, so my thesis will be looking at different, um, the way that you can have different levels of interactivity. So the mm-hmm. answer is both. It can be, so Clouds Over Cedra is 360 video. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other initiatives that use a fully 3D rendered uh, digital environment that okay. you can move around. Um, some of them have three degrees of freedom, which is, yeah, you're sitting there and you can just look like this. Okay. Others have six degrees where you, you can walk and also move your head. Um, 
and then others have you know varying levels of even further interactivity you can you know pick things up and things like that so i'm trying to look at those different features and think about how they might bear implications for good journalistic practice and um how these things might be um more towards the realm of entertainment or information Mm. um that's fascinating. So it's almost like a spectrum of exactly. like how real we can get. Exactly. But see, it's difficult. And this is where I come back to traditional film theory. So there are people who think that realism in film is, you know, putting a camera there and allowing it to just kind of roll and capture uh-huh. reality as it unfolds. Mm-hmm. Other people think that you should be trying to represent like a, a, a more psychological reality with, you know, cutting and things like that. And mm-hmm. so the question of what makes reality, what makes someone feel like they're there, it's not, it doesn't come down to how similar it actually is to their experience, but more like how similar it is for them to be an experience, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen movies that are so surrealistic or just bizarre and not mm-hmm. one camera sitting there, but right. I somehow feel like I can associate with it mm-hmm. just because of the feelings that are below. Yeah. And on the other hand, maybe seeing something in VR where exactly. it had elements mm-hmm. of reality in that I can mm-hmm. look around, but not necessarily be able mm-hmm. to relate to it. Yeah. So is that necessarily the problem that's going on with these videos that are supposed to be immersive and empathetic is like how empathetic we can actually be with these environments? So there's a question of how empathetic we can actually be. So um, basically there's... Uh, there's an argument that there are um, kind of a couple of things that can happen in virtual reality, uh, place illusion, plausibility illusion, embodiment, things that make you feel like you're there. And there's been arguments to um, kind of the evidence so far is that, yes, that encourages an empathetic response. It um, encourages response as if real. Um, And so that can be used. My question further is, should that be used? Should that be the approach that we should take? Should we be basing our ethical judgments on whether or not we can feel like a refugee girl or it seems troubling that it could be potentially used to to play it being a refugee girl right if you see what i mean like a video game exactly exactly so i mean there's the idea of like and this is this is not new to virtual reality this is journalism in general Mm -hmm. um the idea that you need to um i mean as a journalist you have a duty to provide information you also have a duty to engage with an audience and create a compelling news story and an entertaining news story Mm -hmm. and i mean people's suffering has been used as um subject matter for something that is entertaining and engaging and kind of the the ethics of representation there have further implications for vr when you're actually asking people to you know imagine that you're this person right so then do you find it difficult to kind of shed this history of gaming mm. when moving to something like journalism? Like if you ask most people or when you mm-hmm. tell most people that you study VR, mm. do people assume that you're studying something with gaming? I mean, I very quickly go on this whole spiel about it because I find it super fascinating. So that kind of dispels it. But yeah. yes, um, the thing with gaming is that it's very you-centered. It's about you. You know, it's about your experience. It's about your interactivity. And there's something kind of inherently contradictory about something that should be inspiring you to be, you know, selfless and empathetic with something that's very much about you, you know? Mm, totally. Okay, so can you tell us more about Clouds clouds Over Sky? Is that what it's called? Clouds Over Cedra. Clouds Over Cedra. Clouds Over Sky makes no sense. Um, <laughs> so what is the premise of this video? Is it is it how long is it? 
how immersive is it? Mm-hmm. I assume. Have you seen it yeah. yourself? Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So it's around like 10, 15 minutes long. Um, the concept is that you're, um, it's kind of a day in the life of a girl called Sidra, who's a refugee girl. It's in the um, Zatari camp in Jordan. Mm. Um, and I think the, I mean, the idea is that you, um, get to see in a in a less mediated way the conditions that they're living in, um, and I, I think I mean I, the spatial reality of it is um, something that VR affords that um, for traditional film doesn't really afford. Mm-hmm. Um, to look around a space to see it as it is, it's different to being given like a mediated kind of edited um, cut version of. Um, conditions and and that works well Mm. um however i wouldn't say it's the so it's it's filmed in 360 video okay three degrees of freedom which you can watch it on youtube it means so it means that you can just look around it's available on youtube so you can't move around no you can't move around um so then another approach that i would like to talk about um in my thesis is Mm. um the idea that you should actually instead be um rather than kind of a voyeur of the situation, you should be in some way um, inhabiting it, um, in some way moving through it in a kind of purposive way. Mm. Um, And that's something that another journalist, uh, Noni de la Peña, um, who's sometimes referred to as the godmother of um, VR in journalism, what she does is very different. She doesn't use 360 video. She prefers to use um, interact kind of digital uh, 3D rendered environments. Okay. Um, and she made actually a, a recreation of the um, Trayvon Martin shooting called One Dark Night. Wow. So she basically developed this um, kind of 3D environment based on architectural plans, 911 calls, like the, the real... Um, transcripts and she also used like trial testimonies and things so she's very much going from fact-based things instead of what Chris Milk is doing building this kind of um moving you know artistically um engaging empathetic experience instead she's with a background in investigative journalism rather than entertainment she's kind of developing a landscape through which you can understand more about the story which in my opinion is a, a better and perhaps more ethical way to do things uh-huh so did you sign up for a philosophy like thesis pretty much? Because it sounds like there's no way to right. talk about these right. things yeah. without mm-hmm. dealing with huge questions. Y- yes, about- yeah. So basically, yeah, a, a section of my thesis will be like a, a potted history of people's opinions about empathy in general. So like um, Paul Bloom's book, um, Against Empathy, um, kind of the idea that instead of trying to base ethical decisions on empathy, you should be having this more idea of like, you know, radical um, compassion towards people. So the place of virtual reality journalism then would be to inform and not rely on having to put you in, for instance, Trayvon Martin's shoes. I like the idea of solutions journalism and I like the idea of the journalist's role being to inform only as far as the person receiving can act. So our role is to collect information about what happened in the the Trayvon Martin shooting. Mm -hmm. It's not the role of the the journalist to further, you know, pull on our heartstrings to Mm. convince us that what happened was wrong. I see. So Mm. you you would be against further production of putting someone in the shoes of someone else because we are not going to be in the shoes. Yeah, I mean, the basic idea is that it's impossible to truly identify with someone's experience in a philosophical sense. And 
so we shouldn't be trying to use that as a basis and new technologies that are emerging new ethical imperatives shouldn't be using technologies which are being labeled as empathy machines i mean it seems like a very backwards Mm -hmm. step Mm -hmm. ethically for something that's very forward thinking technologically Definitely. But what was the response to this um, cloud server Cedra? Like, were, were people well, very... Well, and this is the problem because it was good. I mean, yeah. um, so he uh, brought it to the, um, the World Economic Forum, I think, and um, he basically he presented it to a load of um, very wealthy um, people and it did elicit donations. You know, it did have a positive effect. Mm. And so this is where it's kind of hard for me to ethically evaluate it and I want to kind of avoid that territory somewhat, but... I mean, it's difficult. I think it just has to be handled sensitively. And there's been some super interesting thought about this and tracing the history of using technologies in this way and um, where it becomes um, troubling. Um, Someone compared... uh, So someone um, wrote an article about um, the empathy machine comparing it to um, the previous empathy machine of like the slave narrative so this was using a technology which was you know the written word and literacy mm-hmm. but also modifying those kind of narratives to a, a kind of pull on the heartstrings of um, basically influential white people and um, exaggerating certain parts minimizing certain other parts because mm-hmm. it had this um, I mean, its goal was to improve conditions by eliciting kind of change in civil rights and things. And it, so it's the question is, what what should we be using to get to the ends we desire? Right. Wow. Mm. So you came into Cambridge thinking yeah. you were going to do a VR thesis mm. and it turned into a philosophy and ethics, a journalism and yeah. all of these different things. Yeah. Combined. So I'm trying to basically to, to make sure that I'm not writing a book basically (laughs) I'm um, trying to focus on the specific uh, elements of virtual reality Um, trying to think about kind of the role of subtitling the role of 3D environments versus 360 video Mm -hmm. thinking about those things that for instance I think makes One Dark Knight a, a better version than Clouds Over Cedra. Um, thinking about use of real audio, thinking about um, basically the formal aspects of that and that's kind of where I can look at and I think have meaningful things to say that aren't overly philosophical. Definitely. And so did you have a background in this kind of technological aspect of VR? No. Did you have to learn it when you came yeah. here? Wow. Mm-hmm. So that was tough. How, how was that? Well, I mean, it's, it's all kind of... Um, Interrelated. I mean, I'm, I don't have to know anything super techy. I don't have to know about, you know, the actual ways that um, it's being animated. It's more like learning a new vocabulary, um, such as I had to when I was learning about film, like learning mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, the, the language you use to talk about editing and different aspects of film, like intertitles, I don't know, just, just things like that. Um, it, yeah, there's a new vocabulary that we're going to have to develop and talk about, and I've had to learn that somewhat, but... Yeah, it's been fun. Well done. And I feel like what you're doing is super useful because you're introducing all these questions Mm. that people tend to not think about. I mean, Mm. I would never consider ethics and VR two things that might overlap, but Mm. definitely when you're having, like, Mm -hmm. what is reality? What is virtual? Yeah, I mean, obviously these things are connected. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one question. So in talking about consuming media, I guess outside of journalism, kind of, it seems as though we're moving kind of in the direction of isolation, right? So like, mm-hmm. if we used to have entertainment originally mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. theaters with right. tons of people, and then it kind of moved into the mm-hmm. home when we had TVs, and mm-hmm. now we're resorting more to Netflix on our computer and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
do you see VR as kind of like the essential, like solitary experience because you're mm-hmm. literally being cut off from the world? And what are the pros and cons of that kind of thing? Um, I think that's a good point. It's a good question. Again, it comes down to what you're using VR for. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are things like Second Life, which are encouraging a kind of greater connectivity. There's arguments that people can um, have this kind of very interesting social experience with a a type of fluid identity that mm. they wouldn't otherwise be able to try out. Sorry, can you just quickly tell um, us what Second Life is? Because... Uh, so Second Life is it's not actually virtual reality. It's a, um, so it was like a, a program, it was a, a server, I guess, developed um, for people to have avatars and you have real money and some people actually make a living like selling digital shoes and things like that. And I remember when I was in year nine or so, my ICT teacher told me that within a few years, it would be like everyone was on Second in life mm. that never happened mm. but it's still kind of been an underground thing like some people spend time on second life and you know have a second life i guess wow yeah so i think there'll be more of that kind of thing you know second life or some other kind of world um with the intention of uh putting on a new identity interacting with people making new friends in the way that people use chat rooms i guess but also like there's i think there's lots of room for you to um enjoy experiences with existing friends and like especially since lots of people have like international friends you know like you're studying abroad um connecting with your family connecting with your friends watching a movie together in a vr headset i mean it's possible i think we'll see those kind of things that's fascinating so Mm -hmm. really it's I was 100% wrong, and it's not necessarily an isolating experience if you are it's creating all, it. It's all a world. spectrum, it's all potential. I mean, there's some people who will use it to be isolating, there's other people who will use it in a social way. It kind of depends on the person. It, it offers so much, like the real world, it offers so much that you can pick and choose from it what you want. Right. And can even be liberating, right? Right. I mean, if you're unhappy mm-hmm. with the identity you have exactly. in this world. Yep, exactly. And even just having the opportunity to try out to see what it's like to be, you know, your true self or a different self or, you know, what that means for how you act in the real world. It's it's all just very interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. So um, another question I have is about what you think to be the proper space for VR mm-hmm. journalism, let's start out with. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen museum exhibits more and right. more frequently in which okay. you put on a headset and have some kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, VR museums are developing mm-hmm. where everything is in VR. Right. And then it exists in the home and all these mm-hmm. other things. How, what do you see as the proper space for VR journalism? Um, so I think eventually the head-mounted display will be a part of most people's um, kind of home equipment in the same way that lots of people have a gaming console. I think a lot of people will just start using this and it will be normal and it will be kind of integrated into your um, your mobile phone and stuff. And so I think you'll just, it may be that we receive full news through, um, through head-mounted display. Wow. And what can the head-mounted display give us that our NewYorkTimes.com cannot? Um, uh, so as opposed to, as opposed to like the Google Cardboard kind of thing, well, it's just better. I mean, basically the, the Cardboard is a solution for people who don't have access to that, you know, lovely crisp HD, um, head mounted display, like the HTC Vive Pro or something super nice and high end and desirable, but like, um, so it gives them access to the content, but I think most people, when the technology becomes, um, more accepted, I think most people will just invest in having something kind of nice and HD for their home. Yeah, it sounds mm. like some people might 
be afraid of VR. Do you find that to be the case ever? I mean, I, I've, I've at least experienced some kind of negative mm-hmm. reaction or, mm-hmm. oh, no, I don't want my life to be mm-hmm. taken over or fake mm-hmm. or something like right. that. Um, I th- yeah, that's... It's... It is a legitimate concern, but again, it's a legitimate concern in the same way that, you know, gaming is a legitimate concern for people who just, you know, spend way too much of their time on it. It's like you have to, I mean, that's kind of your responsibility to get what you want from technology and to mediate your life around it. But there's also, I don't think it's necessarily this like, you know, very isolating, very... um, kind of solitary thing that doesn't have any impact for your real life. I think there's lots of ways in which you can see VR as a way to do things that you wouldn't be able to do in your real life or inform things that you wouldn't be able to understand. It can be used for education. I've also seen it used in therapy. Um, So it can be, yeah, like um, helping you to meditate, helping you to be mindful, things like that. So it seems like you have a lot of things that you're learning about this year. Mm. Um, is there one that's calling out to you and something that you want to pursue in the future? Is it film or journalism or what's what's pulling you forward? Um, so I think what I would love to do is work at some sort of startup making 360 video content. Um, I it probably wouldn't be journalistic because you know I don't have a journalism background and I'm not really interested in pursuing that. But um, I think it would be something something using 360 film in a creative way. Um, I'm I'd be interested to go back to my uh, the topic of my first essay as well um, and think about how it can be used to it can establish like a properly cinematic code for itself and be um, like narrative VR film could really take off. Mm. What do you mean by a cinematic code? Um, so now at the so at certain film festivals, mm-hmm. they now have a uh, a category for VR film, which is really exciting. Um, so the only thing is that it's difficult to establish conventions. Um, c- cinema has this long history, loads of people, loads of filmmakers, loads of theorists thinking about what cinema should be, what it should do, how it can be, you know, proper um, properly um, moving and properly profound. And I think because of the gaming background, it's very difficult to see. VR is something that could be, you know, a profound artistic or um, product in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's f- for us now to develop um, kind of uh, a language of, of film that can be applied to VR. I see. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. Well, I wish you the best with everything. Thank you. I can't wait to see where you are in five years and use the technology that you're going to develop. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. This was really interesting. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah. Great. Okay.